God, we thank you for this time of worship, Lord. We thank you that you have truly met with us, Lord God, and our blessed assurance is in you, Lord God, that we are found in you, that our lives are safe in Jesus. So we ask as we get ready to go into your word today that you would speak to us, that you would speak clearly to our ears and to our heart, Lord God, that we would leave this moment, Lord God, differently than the way we entered it. We thank you for this time. Hide your servant behind the cross, Lord God. Speak through me even now, Lord God. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Hey everyone, I'm John Rodriguez, one of the leaders here at Zion, and I have the privilege of preaching to you today, and I can't wait to get into this word. For the last few weeks, we've been looking closely at how Paul was instructing the church on Christian maturity. Johnny started us off talking about the things we needed to put off or to put to death. Then Elder Dave told us about the things that we need to put on that produce life in us. And then for the last three weeks, Pastor Justin was speaking about relationships, husbands and wives, parents and children, and lastly, servants and masters. Today, as we're getting ready to close out Christian maturity, Paul invites us to adopting two key components into our daily rhythms of life. The first we're going to dive deeper into is prayer. As Christians, we're called to an earnest and steadfast prayer life. We are not called to a time of prayer or to a moment of prayer, but to a life committed to prayer. I'm going to say that one more time for you. We are called not to a time of prayer or to a moment of prayer, but to a lifetime committed to prayer. Whenever I think of prayer, I can't help but think of my mom. I love my mom. Honestly, she's your typical Hispanic mom. Now, what do I mean by that? When you enter a house, when you're over the house, she's always trying to feed you. I'm 38 years old and she's still trying to kiss me as if I was five years old. And she has the remedy for every illness known to man. She has a cream or a bomb, something known to man. She has it. Last one was a joke, people. So when, when I think about her, I think about how much of a prayer warrior she is. Now, if you see her walking down the street, you honestly be like, I could take that woman. You're like, she ain't nothing to mess with. You just push her over. She's not that strong. Actually, a month ago, she had open heart surgery and she's recovering well now, but she's even a little more frail than she was before. But that woman, when it comes to prayer, she's a powerhouse. She's got muscles that we would kill for. I could remember times when I was younger, growing up in the house, being a teenager, getting ready to go out and to act all kinds of foolish. And she would be there setting up the living room to get ready with some of the women from our old church, praying all through the night. I would be out with my friends, hanging out, doing things I should have not been doing. And in that moment, I can feel the Holy Spirit and I could almost sense my mom and those ladies praying for me. I would tell my friends, man, I can't hang out with you no more. I got to go home. My mom's praying. I can't have fun. So if you tell me prayer doesn't work, that's my proof right there. So let's jump into the scripture. In Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4, we read, Continue steadfastly in prayer, 
being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is, which is how I ought to speak. This type of prayer life just doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen when you first believe. This type of prayer life, it's deliberately built over years. Discipline, sacrifice, and listening to the call of the Holy Spirit. Paul was instructing and inviting the church to adopt a prayer life and not simply a time of prayer. He gave us an example in chapter 1, verses 3 to 8. He supported the church with his prayers. Paul knew that prayer was the only way the church would be sustained and prosper. Paul even went as far in verse 12 of chapter 4 to let us know that Epaphras was, pray, was praying in labor for the church in Colossae. Come on, how many more examples do we need? Can I be honest with you all for a moment? I don't have a prayer life like this. I want one, but I still, I still haven't developed this daily rhythm of prayer. I reject the call of the Holy Spirit when he asked me to spend some time with him, to get deeper into my prayer time with him. I pass him up for Netflix, scrolling through the gram, or even watching The Office for the millionth time. You see, no one that gets up here to preach is perfect. We haven't reached some point where we know everything and do everything right. We are growing and learning just like everyone else. We make mistakes and we're learning from those mistakes. So just to, just to know you're not alone, we are all in the process of maturing together. Developing this type of rhythm, like I said earlier, takes time, a lot of sacrifice, and many moments of failure. What I can say is keep pressing, keep trying, and continue to make every effort to sit in those uncomfortable times of prayer until it becomes your favorite seat in the house. Kind of like Sheldon in the Big Bang Theory. You gotta find your spot or your niche. It has to become a place where you engage deeply in prayer and intimacy with God. Last year in June, Melvin, one of the leaders here, spoke to us so beautifully on prayer. So please do me a favor, jump on Spotify and listen to his sermon, Praying with Godly Greed. You won't be disappointed. You see, sometimes as Christians, we treat prayer as a simple conversation with God, asking for our needs to be met or praying for the needs of others. Scripture describes prayer as something far different. It's a weapon. I could think of James chapter 5, 17 and 18, where James gives flavor to prayer. And he says that Elijah prayed fervently for God to move. Or when we read about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying and at the same time sweating blood. These are not your Lord, lay me down to sleep kind of prayers. These are passionate, hungry, emotional prayers. They come from deep within. They're developed over time. Charles Spurgeon, a preacher and theologian 
and writer from the 1800s said this about prayer. Heaven's gate is not to be stormed by one weapon, but by many. Spare no arrows, Christian. Watch and see that none of the arms in thy armory are rusty. Besiege the throne of God with a hundred hands and look at the promise with a hundred eyes. You have a great work on hand for you. You have to move the arm that moves the world. Watch then for, for every means of moving that arm. See to it that you ply every promise, that you use every argument, that you wrestle with all might. Paul goes on to add an exclamation point to the call to a life of prayer by reminding us to be watchful as we pray. The word that he used in the Greek literally means to be wakeful, or in our vernacular, don't be caught slipping. So many of you know my good friend, Danny St. Jean, AKA Donnie. Now, a few weeks ago in our recording session, he handled announcements. My man roasted me. So Danny, get ready for some payback. You see, when we first started the church, we would have our meetings in Justin's house. And during our leaders meetings, there was not one time that you would not look over and Danny was sleeping. He'd be caught slipping. Jess has tons of pictures of Danny sleeping in the middle of these meetings. I promise you, if you know Danny long enough, you know this is true. So next time you're around Danny, do me a favor, wait for the right moment, catch him slipping, snap that picture, tag at ZionNYC on Instagram. We wanna know what's going on with Danny. But to be real with you, I bet Danny's right now watching this service from the Flatbush Church, from the Flatbush House Church, and he's sleeping right now. So Danny, I love you, bro. I don't take it anyway. You see, what Paul was saying here when we were to be watchful, he's literally reiterating the command from Matthew 14:38, where Jesus says, watch and pray. We must remain alert and in the moment when we are praying understanding what is happening around us and within us. We are watch, when we are watchful and avoid, we avoid the pitfalls of temptation and are prepared to walk out our Christianity. You see, Danny in those meetings was physically present, but he wasn't actively participating because he was sleeping. Think about it this way. How many times have you tried to have a conversation with someone and they're on their phone. They're sitting there, you're trying to pour your heart out or share something with them, and they're there scrolling, typing away. You might get a, yeah, mm-hmm, gotcha. But honestly, they're not paying attention. They're not present. They're not in that moment. Paul is calling us to be present in our prayer time, be in the moment physically, mentally, and spiritually. Our greatest example of a life of prayer is Jesus. In John 17, he prays this prayer to his father from the garden, and it's called the high priestly prayer. And he mentions three things during this prayer. In verse 11, he prays for the physical and spiritual protection of the church. In 17 through 19, he prays for the sanctification of the church in truth. And in verse 20, he prays for all believers to come 
to come through the witness of the gospel. Jesus prayed all these things knowing that in less than 24 hours, the cross was coming. He knew he'd be betrayed in a matter of moments by one of those he loved. He knew at, at that moment while he was praying that his disciples who he asked to join him in prayer were sleeping only steps away. Yet his prayer was focused on us. What I'm trying to point out here is that we can't make excuses for our lack of prayer or how deeply we go into prayer. If anyone ever had an excuse, Jesus at this moment had the best excuse. But his attention at that time was on the church and the outsider. A life committed to prayer doesn't just focus on our own needs and wants, but is in tune with the heart and the will of God. We have no problem lifting up others in prayer to the Father or praying for the church to advance or prosper or praying for the gospel to go forth or for us to have moments to share the gospel with the non-believer. A powerful element of our prayer life as Paul said here, was to pray with thanksgiving, we need to remind ourselves the great things God has already done. In thanksgiving and offering praise to God, it reminds us and sparks faith in our heart to believe him. I'm going to repeat that one. In giving thanks to God, it reminds us and sparks faith in our heart to believe him for the great things we are asking of him in prayer. We are reminded of the great things he's done, like splitting the Red Sea, making the sun stand still, dying on a cross for us, or if you want to make it something more recent, healing a loved one from a sickness. We cannot help but be filled with faith when we do this in our prayer time because it sparks boldness in our heart to believe him for so much more. We leave this section on prayer with Paul asking the church to continue to pray for him. It wasn't a prayer for his personal needs, even though there were many. Even at that moment, he was in prison for preaching the gospel. Instead, he asked for the door to be opened for the gospel to be shared and that he would do so clearly to those that needed to hear it. Our prayer life should be centered on God's will for the church and for the gospel to be spoken with power, clarity, and conviction. Think about this. How often do you pray for the opportunity to share the gospel or pray for the gospel to be shared, period? I know if you are anything like me, personally, my prayer life has been very self-centered. If the prayer doesn't have any benefit to me or help me in any situation that I'm in, usually I don't pray for it. Now Paul asks us to go into the second rhythm of life, and that's our public life as Christians. In verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Our Christian life cannot be lived in our prayer closet, though oftentimes we wish it was. I know many times I've been in my prayer closet, had amazing times with God, and I really ask myself, do I have to pick up that phone call? Or do I have to step out this room? My kids are wilding out. Yet, there's a practical or lived out Christianity that God requires of us. We all have 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, 
365 days in a year. Our time is limited and it's precious. Sometimes we only get a few moments with an outsider or a non-believer, and we have to make the very best of those moments with them. We may be the only representation of Jesus that they ever come in contact with. The best thing we could ever do for that person is share the gospel with them. I have a quick story to share. When I was younger, I was involved in youth ministry. In our youth ministry, we met on Friday nights in the basement of our old church. There was a leader there that was reaching out to one of the young girls. And this girl honestly loved to be at church. She loved to be around the things of God, but she actually never made a commitment to God. One Friday night, she was at church. We were all enjoying what was happening, the worship, the word. And then she left with her friends. Through some tragic circumstances, that was her last night here on earth. She passed away that night. Now, I know that girl probably thought to herself, I have a lifetime to make a decision to follow Jesus. That leader probably thought, well, I'll reach her next week. But we cannot waste those moments. We have to be ready with the gospel at every opportunity that's presented to us. When I think of this, I can't help but be reminded of the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch from Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. Now, if you don't know what a eunuch is, that means you probably haven't seen Game of Thrones. It's okay. A eunuch is a man who serves the king, the queen, the emperor, whoever is in power. And what they do is they remove his genitalia so he doesn't get frisky with the queen, the princess, or any of the concubines that belong to the king, the emperor, whoever. Quick, quick moment for you there. Um, the eunuch was on his way back home, and he was reading the book of Isaiah. And God spoke to Philip while he was in prayer and told him to head in a certain direction and to walk by this chariot that the eunuch was in. So Paul, so, sorry, so Philip walks by this chariot, and while he's walking by, he hears the eunuch reading Isaiah 53 and asks him if he wanted, if he knew what he was reading. The eunuch replied, I don't understand what I'm reading. Can you help me? He invites Philip into the chariot and they get, they're on their way together. Philip explains Isaiah 53, which is about the Lamb of God, telling him about the gospel and how he needed a savior. That eunuch that day was saved and baptized. You see, Philip was in prayer he heard God give him direction. He obeyed and was presented with the opportunity to share the gospel. The eunuch was prepared for the gospel to be presented to him. He just needed someone to share and explain it to him. Philip, while in prayer, received instructions and followed those instructions. He was, he was ready first because he was in prayer. He received wisdom from the Holy Spirit, where to go and, and who to walk next to. I remember this time that I was sitting on the train on my way home. And I, I don't know about you, but when I get on the train, I look for the emptiest row. So I sat in the emptiest row, and at the next stop, this young man gets on the train. And he proceeds to sit right next to me. And he starts to tell me everything that's going on in his life. His mom was sick. He felt alone. He was depressed, and he felt like, the, every, everyone in the world had let him down. 
As I look back at this opportunity I wasted because I never, ever got to share the gospel with him. I never prayed with him. I never offered him a, a chance to even hear what God thought about him. I felt horrible in that moment, and I pray that God would meet him wherever he's at. And this was years ago. I pray that some Christian, some, some believer might have gotten the opportunity to share with him, but I dropped the ball. I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared. As I said, each moment is precious. We don't know who or what is on the other side of our prayer time, but when we are in prayer, God will lead us to the outsider that he's already begun to work on their heart. Wisdom is completely following what his spirit is leading us to. As Paul goes on in verses five and six, he closes out this section by saying, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. As we interact with outsiders, our speech must always be full of grace, both God's grace and human graciousness. God's grace is found in the gospel. It's his love. Human graciousness is found in how we treat others, how we look at their current situation, how we don't separate ourselves from them. See that young man on the train? I honestly didn't show him any type of grace. In that moment, I look back, he needed grace, both me understanding his situation, me empathizing with the place that he was in, and he needed to hear about God's grace. How there was a father in heaven who loved him, who had a plan for his life, who wanted a relationship with him. Again, I missed it. I had no answer because I neglected my time with God, so my words were empty. I had no answer for him. I failed in that moment. Please don't be like me. I don't want to brush over Paul's call for our speech to be seasoned with salt. If you like to cook or if you like to eat, you know there is no substitution for salt. Sorry, Mrs. Dash, you are not salt. Sometimes in the house, I like to cook. Now, when I cook, a lot of times there's chaos in the kitchen. And in those moments of chaos, I forget the salt. Um, it usually happens when I'm making rice and I don't remember the salt, but then when I serve Jess and she has that fork full of meat and rice and she puts it into her mouth, her first response to me is, you forgot the salt. There's no replacing it, right? You could have the best beans and the best meat in the world, but when that rice hits your mouth, you know it's just not right. See, the salt that Paul was referencing here was wit, the ability to hold engaging conversation. Our conversation with outsiders can't be bland. Honestly, how many people want to hold a conversation with someone who's blah? It's like putting that saltless rice in your mouth. Just doesn't taste good. It's tiring. You lose interest in what they're saying so quickly. You're, you, we are called to have engaging conversations with outsiders, to have conversations that have life in them and they produce life. As Christians, we should be approachable, good conversationalists, people who enjoy speaking with and listening to. This is something that we must work on, 
especially here in New York. I'm a, I'm a native New Yorker. I've grown up here my entire life. There's one thing I know how to do really well. I know how to mean mug. When I get on the train, I usually have a mean mug on. And the mean mug means don't mess with me. Don't try to have a conversation with me. Leave me alone. But this doesn't work for Christians. We can't be mean mugging on the train. We can't be mean mugging as we're walking down the street. We should be approachable. When I think of our church and I think of people who are great examples of those with wit, I think of Joseph Martin, David Gilbert, Abby Garcia, Adelina. That's just a few people that I can name. There are so many more. They are approachable, great conversationalists. I believe spending time with these people can help us learn to be more witty, approachable to the outsider. The reason for engaging in conversation with, with outsiders is to be able to present them with answers to their questions. Their questions about life, existence, God, love, and the list can go on. If we can be honest with ourselves, we were many of us were outsiders. And we had those same questions bouncing around in our minds. Now that we know Jesus and we have a relationship with him, we should, we should believe that we have the answers to those questions and we should want to share them with others. This is the public life of a Christian, someone who's engaging the outsider at every opportunity in order to present them with the gospel, hoping they receive it and begin to walk with Jesus. In all truth, this is what Paul was teaching us with these last few scriptures. The daily rhythm of prayer produces a place for the Holy Spirit to lead us to opportunities where he can speak through us to the outsider, to the non-believer who need the gospel, a friend or someone that can share the answer that they're looking for. As I get ready to close today, can I ask you a question? What do your daily rhythms look like? Do they resemble what Paul instructed the church in Colossae to do? Do you have a rhythm or a lifestyle of prayer where you engage deeply with God during your time of prayer? I'm not talking about a devotional time in the morning or a prayer before a meal or bedtime. I'm talking about a real pattern and rhythm to your prayer. You see, maturity isn't just counting the years of our salvation, just like becoming a mature person isn't about your age. We see it all the time there are immature adults walking around daily. Maturity is getting the focus off of us and on others. It's how we measure our love for people. Let me say that one again. Maturity is getting the focus off of us and on others. It's how we measure our love for people. Like anyone going to the gym for the first time, you do your squats, your leg lifts, your bench presses, your curls, whatever it is. What's happening as you're doing this is that your muscles are ripping and tearing. And as you continue to go to the gym and repeat those exercises, your muscles continue to stretch and to grow. This is what gives you gains. Your, it increases your strength and your stamina. Maybe in the beginning, you can only lift five pounds or maybe you could only do 15 squats. But as you continue to repeat the process, you move from five pounds to 10 pounds to 15 pounds to 20 pounds and so on. Maybe today you can only pray for 10 minutes, but
But as you continue to grow more and more comfortable in the presence of God and with your weapon of prayer, your time of prayer will continue to grow. It will become a rhythm, something that becomes familiar. You begin, like my mom, you're able to move mountains. As your prayer life becomes more familiar, the voice of the Holy Spirit will too. You hear those opportunities to engage in conversation, to answer questions, to share the gospel with people who need to hear it. Those opportunities become more and more frequent as you grow in your time of prayer and as you live out this life publicly. Can I tell you, as I've learned to allow prayer to shape my life, I have forfeited less and less of those opportunities. Jessel, back me up here. I've been at the supermarket, at the Chinese food restaurant, and I've been able to hear people's stories, to offer an answer to them, to pray with them, to share the gospel. This is what the daily life of a Christian looks like. It only comes as we mature in Christ, learning to pray as he did and to live publicly as he did. I want to invite you after service to get with your house church and discuss your daily rhythms. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time of prayer. I thank you, Lord God, that you've given us the opportunity to hear your word today, Lord God. And you've invited us to, to adopt two daily rhythms, prayer and a life, a Christian public life, Lord God. And I'm asking God that you would help us in this season, Lord God, as we learn to pray more deeply, Lord God, that we would hear your voice more and more calling us, God that we would reject the things that try to vie for our attention, God, and that we would get deeper in love with you, Lord God, with your presence, Lord God, with our times of prayer, God. And I pray that our times of prayer would prepare us for a public life, Lord God, where we're willing to share the gospel with whoever wants to hear it, Lord God. That we would have those moments, Lord God, like Philip had with that eunuch, Lord God, where people are prepped and ready, Lord God, to hear your word, Lord God, and that we might share it. We thank you, Lord God, that you would choose to use us, God. So let us leave here differently than the way we came. In Jesus' name, amen.